Hi everyone, I'm Margot Faraci. Welcome to Heart and Hustle, How to Thrive in a Crisis. In this podcast series, our job is to help you, the listening community, learn, normalise and thrive in these really tricky times with lessons from leaders in a range of fields about their experiences and insights during coronavirus. Today, I'm talking with Jane Fernandez. Jane's devoted much of her career to sport, including leadership roles for major sporting events, including the AFC Asian Cup Australia and the Australian Olympic Committee. Now, she's currently General Manager for the FIFA Women's World Cup bid 2023 at Football Federation Australia, and she led the charge to secure Australia's first ever FIFA event. What a huge win for Australia and New Zealand that was, and everyone got on board, from Scott Morrison to Jacinda Ardern to lighting up the Opera House sales with a Sam Kerr backflip. It was an incredibly uplifting story in a year that has been really tough for a lot of people, particularly with the good news breaking when much of Australia was in the middle of lockdown. Jane Fernandez, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Jane, in a time of crisis and despair, you delivered this country hope and happiness by winning the bid to host the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. You did it by joining forces with New Zealand. I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. You were on the other side of the world to where much of the influence was or where you needed to influence. And in the final stages, you did it in lockdown on Zoom calls uh, with the Northern Hemisphere in the middle of the night, some of your team with babies sleeping, kids sleeping in the background, and you didn't have your colleagues around you because you're all in lockdown. Now, you've known high stakes before. You've worked with the AOC on the Olympics after all, but was this the toughest ask you've ever had in your career? No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was, this was probably the biggest project, the biggest task I've embarked upon, and it took a huge team of so many people um, to allow us to succeed, to to win the rights to host the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023 with New Zealand. It was a phenomenal project um, to be part of and so grateful to have had that opportunity um, to be part of the team to deliver this, um, not only for the football family, but also for the country. You started this a few years ago. These things take a lot of time, but ultimately when it came to the crunch, what you ended up doing because of COVID looked really different to what you had planned. So how did you get around? Like, when did you realise that you weren't going to be able to go to Zurich? I think it would have been that you would have had to go to sort of deliver yeah. your final pitch, get the final votes, all that sort of stuff. Because these things come down to the wire and they come down to you being in front of people and really influencing face to face. When did you work out that you weren't going to be able to do that? And what did you do about it? Well, we were pretty fortunate in that we were able to go to Zurich to deliver the bid book in December, which okay. was great. And then in February, um, FIFA were able to come and do the inspection program. Okay. So they visited Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide and then three other cities in New Zealand. So that was awesome. So we knew that they'd, we'd met the, the key people and we also knew the key operational people, I should say. And so they, they experienced our hospitality and our warmth and they saw some of the key infrastructure, which was fantastic. And then COVID hit. How were you feeling? I want to go into what happened with COVID, but how were you feeling by the end of February, which is obviously we knew COVID was a thing, but we didn't think it was going to be our thing yeah. by then. Um, how were you feeling about how the December trip to Zurich had gone and, and the February trip from the delegates here? How were you feeling about the bid then? Super positive. Really? Like, yeah. The right. feedback was really good. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we all know that when you're bidding for these tournaments, you can put so much effort into the bid submission and mm. the inspection visits. Um, but at the end of the day, it always comes down to the wire, as you say, around whose support do you have mm. and um, and knowing that you have the enough support to ensure that you're going to get over the line. Mm. 
But at the end of February, um, the feedback we got on the inspection visit from FIFA was that this was a world-class inspection program. Okay. I mean, we put so much effort and so much time into that. And so, you know, I was we were so pumped to, to get that feedback. Mm. Um, it l- allowed us to regroup and then, and then COVID hit. And so the advocacy strategy that we had in place, we had to be super flexible and really change that strategy, as you rightly say, to have calls and Zoom meetings and just to ensure that we were always on the front foot and putting the compelling vision we had for the Women's World Cup forward and making sure that all of the voters, um, all of the FIFA Council were really aware of what we wanted to achieve from hosting the tournament. And they were scattered around the world, Jane? or They're scattered around the world. So the FIFA Council's made up of representatives from all of the different confederations mm-hmm. that make up FIFA. And so, yeah, various time zones all around the world. And our presidents, um, the president of Football Federation Australia and New Zealand football, um, really were key to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all in the background, you know, getting everything organised. But they were the they were the, the, the key people. And look, in a pre-COVID world, we had lots of plans of travelling around and, and seeing them face people. to face. Yeah. Totally, because yeah. it's all about relationships. Of course it is. Yeah. The one fortunate thing we had was that the FIFA Women's World Cup was held in 2019. And um, that was a great opportunity to have face-to-face meetings yeah. to put our vision forward. But at that point in time, we weren't with New Zealand. Yes, that's right, which I want to get into. Before I do, I know you have a strong view around what impact that this could have for our society on the kids coming through watching women at their most powerful in 2023. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, look, a lot of my friends have little boys just I don't know how that worked out, but they just do. And um, the age they are now, it means that when 2023 comes around, this will really be the first major sporting event that their kids will will go to. And we've had a lot of discussions around how this is an absolute social game changer. Um, To see female athletes performing on centre stage at the pinnacle of their career creates a whole new behaviour, perspective, on the role of women um, in society, really, mm. and seeing these amazing athletes, I, I really think is a social game changer. And if you see it, you can be it. It will be an inspirational event for girls and boys um, to really uh, see these females performing at their best will just be phenomenal. I went to the FIFA Women's World Cup in France and um, was lucky enough to go to a number of games and just seeing the crowd, I mean, seeing lots of Aussies in the crowd too, mm. a lot of little boys wearing Kerr jerseys, <laughs> which always makes me smile. Well, she's awesome. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. And it it's just going to be amazing. And you can see the generational change. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was a kid, um, we really didn't see many female athletes. The ones I remember were the ones I saw on TV. Yeah. So the swimmers from the Com Games were, you know, front of mind for me and also tennis players. I played netball, but at that point in time, from my memory, netball was not on television. Yeah. So, again, visibility, creating visibility and and creating new heroes, um, I really believe will be a social game changer. Because that generation of children who are watching that, as you say, going to those games on a world-class stage, seeing these women at their most powerful, that will be normal for them. It normalises everything. Yeah, that's right. Totally normalises everything. That's right. You know, we grew up watching um, amazing male athletes running around the pitch in winter. Mm. So it's going to be great to um, to see uh, the best footballers in the world doing that in, in July in Australia and New Zealand. I think you're quite right. I remember when my son sort of started working out what a prime minister was. Mm. Julie Gillard was our prime minister and Quentin Bryce was our governor general. So he just thinks it's normal 
that women would be in those positions and and that's what you're talking about for young boys and young girls to think it's normal for women to be on a world stage being very powerful. My mum used to tell this story about when um, we were young and I had to go to the doctor for some reason. This was maybe three or four and we go to the doctor's surgery and we had to see a new doctor and this doctor came out and our normal doctor was a female. And I looked at this guy and apparently I said, you're not a doctor, you're a man. (laughs) Started early, Jane, didn't it? I bet your mum loves that story now. Now, famously, and you've mentioned it, Australia and New Zealand decided to join forces to increase the chances of winning, in, in retrospect, a great decision. Now, everyone who's listening, you can check out hashtag as one. Well to, done. to get some inspiration. It's a great symbol. I think in life, in business, in sport, whatever it is, we don't go up alone. We're always more powerful when we link arms. And in this case, with a competitor. In the end, it's looking like a stroke of genius that you did that. But there must have been some hesitation. There must have been some resistance. What did you have to let go of in order to make that succeed? Yeah, so we look. We took the decision to um, partner with New Zealand Football after the Women's World Cup in 2019 because after that event, the president of FIFA decided um, now was the time to expand the competition. So it was 24 teams when the bid started. Mm. And at that point in time, which I will add, that was basically about four months before the bid submission was due, mm. they decided to expand hey. it to 32 <laughs> teams. <laughs> So by that point in time, we were well ahead in the development of our of our bid book. And I've said before, we do have an Australian-only version. Yeah. Um, and we had expended so much time and energy into developing an amazing story for Australia. And, you know, I really had to let that go. Um, not all of it, though, because quite a bit of it, we were able to use it to come together as one. And so um, after the expansion of the tournament, we worked with New Zealand Football and wanted to strengthen the partnership, strengthen the bid and the prospects of, of succeeding. And that was the decision that was taken and it clearly was the right decision, um, having, you know, stronger as one. But letting go of, of control, which is something we've all learned through COVID anyway, mm. and really focusing on the outcome, it was really, really difficult. Was it? Really yeah. hard. And and so someone at some point had this crazy idea, you know, you guys are brainstorming, someone says, oh, look, this is really ridiculous, but I'm just going to put it up on the whiteboard, join with New Zealand, and you go, everyone else goes, that's ridiculous, we wouldn't possibly be able to do that. But then it got legs somehow, and then you had to convince everyone else, right? Yeah, it definitely got legs. It was floated very early on in the piece. Okay. But that was when it was 24 teams, mm. and look, in Australia, we're blessed with fantastic infrastructure, yeah. and we know how to deliver amazing tournaments and amazing um, mega sporting events but then as we progressed the tournament expanded um, and we really it it allowed us to sort of create a narrative around a FIFA Women's World Cup for the Asia Pacific region yeah because in the world of football Australia is part of Asia yeah and New Zealand's Oceania Um, and again putting forward this tournament at first because never before have two confederations come together (sighs) to deliver a tournament yes so really truly powerful. a tournament of first, very, very powerful. And it's it, this is history making. Yeah. Really is. So what, what was the, you know, when you said it's, it was hard to do, how were your team with that? My team was just phenomenal. They were right. amazing. And it was a real lesson, as you say, in letting go. Yeah. And sort of surrendering to the path forward. And because we, we felt such ownership to what we had already created, but everyone also bought into the vision. 
Um, and that was that was critical, buying into the vision, being able to see how amazing a tournament for the Asia-Pacific will be. And um, everyone was on board. And very, very quickly, um, our friends from New Zealand football came to Australia. Those were the days when we could travel. Mm. And we had a one-day workshop, came up with the As One tagline. Our creative agency, White Kite, worked really, really hard on because we Limitless was our theme for the Australian bid. Yeah. And we had a bid mark and that was already approved by yeah. FIFA. So very quickly we developed a bid mark. Um, everyone approved, got on board, and, um, yeah, it was very, very fast process. Uh, for those of you in corporate world, let's just note that it is possible to get an outcome from a one-day workshop. It doesn't yes. have to take three months of PowerPoint decks afterwards. So uh, well done, high performance, Jane. And there's nothing like a deadline, right? There's nothing like yeah, no, You've got a hard stop. Right, exactly. So yeah. we came together, you know, after the tournament, so around August, FIFA extended the timeline um, for everyone and opened it to new bidders actually. Um, so the book was originally due October, um, which is why we were so progressed. Mm. Um, and then it, they extended it to December. Mm. So we only had two more months, so we did not have much time. Oh, my God, the stress. Yeah. So you've made a commitment to double down on the leadership development program as part of the bid. We've already got some great leaders. You mentioned Sam Kerr. I loved seeing her image doing a backflip on the sales of the Opera oh, yeah. House. Julie Dolan, you know, on the sales of the Opera House. These are, you know, iconic moments for Australia, really. Tell us about that leadership development program that you've already got in place and what you plan to do with it. Yeah, so Football Federation, in partnership with our federal government, deliver leadership programs for women in football for in the ASEAN region, so mm-hmm. Southeast Asia. And what we want to do is we want to expand that, make it much broader. And it's around, um, so capacity building is critical and having more female leaders in um, football and in all sport mm. is is critical for driving change and to continue to strive to achieve gender equality in, in sport. Mm-hmm. So that's the focus of the program. And it's around um, the commitment we made in the bid book was to develop and, and deliver a leadership program for 2023, which would see female leaders from across the region coming into um, the tournament delivery team, um, but also participating in a program that really focuses on leading self and leading others, mm-hmm. leading culture, leading vision, and really help build their capacity as leaders that they can then take back to their own federations and um, continue to be, you know, leaders within football, within their own countries. It's just critical to driving change. How exciting. And I do want to mention, while while you're talking about that, I'm thinking about the commitment that you guys made to pay parity for men and women in football in Australia. So, you know, which, which just means that these women can really focus on their sport and focus on being leaders in their sport and that takes them where that takes them after their football career. Absolutely. And New Zealand are the same. Right. Pay parity as well. So, again, it was another really compelling story for us in yeah. the bid in that, um, you know, we're really serious about this and yeah. we're serious about taking the FIFA Women's World Cup to new heights, um, developing a commercial platform that ensures the sustainability of women's football and ensuring visibility from a broadcast and social media perspective. And all of, all of this will feed into the development of the product. Yeah. And it's, it's really good for everyone. I can't wait. I seriously can't wait. Everyone get on hashtag as one. So I love what comes up in my feed from that. It's just so inspiring. Fair few tears in our household the day it all got announced. And I loved the photo, Jane, of you all watching the bid. Jane's like three foot off the air, in, um, off the floor in I the think air. I jumping up. jumped Alana Kennedy, yeah. uh, one of our <laughs> defenders. <laughs> Maybe you should strap the boots on. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, Jane, I'm asking everyone, you would have had a fair bit of travel on this year that you didn't end up doing. So 
what did you do about that? Did you end up going somewhere? Did you have to end up going somewhere or did you stay put? Well, we probably should be in Zurich right now, right. starting to develop um, the delivery model for the for the tournament. So that was a work trip. On a personal note, I didn't have any travel planned. I had actually been in Hawaii in March. So once FIFA left at the end of February, I took a few days off. I went to Hawaii and then the world blew up. Um, <laughs> I come home the day after our Prime Minister announced isolation in On the that home. that Monday, yeah. So, yeah, I was in lockdown in my home for, for two weeks, but, um, you know, the the love and kindness of family and, and friends and people dropping off food parcels and talking to me from the street while I was on my balcony, yeah. I mean, it really made us all realise what's important during yeah. this time and yeah. the connections with friends and family are first and foremost the most important thing we've got. What I did do is I had a bit of a staycation. I, I went up to a beach and just sort of hung out for a few days. But, um, yeah, I am looking forward to the day when we can travel again. I think everyone is. I think everyone is. Jane Fernandez, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope from this you've got some ideas and some themes about how to thrive in a crisis. Now, you can definitely hit the subscribe button if you want to hear more of the show and give us a rating as well. Thanks again for listening. See you soon. Listener.